In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. The little talk for today is entitled 15 Minutes. As in 15 Minutes of Fame, the expression inspired by Andy Warhol's words, I quote, in the future, everyone will be world famous for 15 minutes, unquote, which appeared in the program for a 1968 exhibition of his work at the Moderna Mosaic in Stockholm, Sweden. The notion strikes as deep and urgent a chord in the human heart as it did half a century ago. A poignant remember, reminder to us who remember that moment half a century ago as if it were new. As our world draws larger and larger, social media also draw us closer and closer together. And more and more of this world's 7.7 billion inhabitants realize how insignificant we really are. And all of us are haunted by the same questions. What will make our time here more than an existence? What will fill this time we have with meaning, with significance? These are King Solomon's questions. What do mortals get from all the toil and strain with which they toil under the sun? More than what they are working for, he asks. More than the necessities of existence lived by pulling crops from the earth and fish from the sea, the hard labor with which God cursed both Adam and Eve in the garden, the pain and misery of which is still being felt as we too work for what they worked, ultimately, to get as far away from God as we can, to declare our independence so that we too can get the one thing which is beyond our reach. It matters little what it was, the one thing that will give us our 15 minutes of fame. And that it was that they and, uh, and we would want that one thing that they could not get was enough for them and it's enough for us. That that one thing lacking was good for nothing that they needed, nothing that they needed to do to meet the needs that were all met in God's good provision was lost on them then and now, is lost on the lost, on the saved, on the world and the church equally alike. The Declaration of Independence that was signed and sealed with the serpent in the garden has been our undoing every time it has reasserted itself in the history of human culture ever since. The pursuit of our own happiness set up on the highest altar we have is our highway to hell, I assure you, a lesson we have failed to learn as we struggle to earn our freedom from dependence, to transcend our creatureliness by our own efforts, to assure that there is no way God can get at us with sickness, pain, or death, to be safe from God. This nation, like all nations, stands as evidence that if we try too hard for that, God will grant our request. Just a warning. Vanity of vanity, says our text, which means now not that all are vain, but that all is in vain, futile. The shifting nuances of meaning for this word Vanity, given to us from vanus, empty, have elevated a secondary meaning in the centuries from King James' time, which the ESV would translate all of the King James, not just the part that seems more obvious. 
And vanity meant, means now rather, the secondary meaning, excessive pride in or admiration of one's own appearance or achievements, as in vanity license plates or the little counter under the mirror in the bathroom, vanity mirror. That's fine. That's not what the word meant or means in this context. The primary meaning of vanity is the quality of being worthless or futile, producing no result, useless, having no meaning or likelihood of fulfillment, empty. Closer to the Hebrew, habel habalim, breath of breaths, the shortness of breath, connoting the shortness of life a vapor trail, which ends in a few last gasps, soon dissipated, leaving no trace. It's all or nothing in the here and now, but afterwards it's all for nothing, if that's how we have lived. You can't take it with you, but someone else will, and do with it what they will. So even our legacy lies shrouded in the mists of time. When the Lord of life then steps through time and across the threshold into the life of this very successful farmer who we have met in the parable, very gifted, very diligent, the salt of the earth, very conscientious, very hardworking, if blessed albeit with a little bit of luck, he reveals to him that although everything in his life has gone well, he has taken a wrong turn on life's path from which there is no turning back. It's too late. What was that wrong turn? It's not that he worked for what someone else will get in the end. Solomon says as much. And not that the end is now. It is that when he assessed his abundance, he made a big strategic mistake. It's called early retirement. I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I don't need anything now. I'm safe and sound. I have it all. And if I tease it out, I don't really need God to take every day and make it the perfect day. Make every day the perfect day. Pursue happiness. Fill life with meaning. Divorce from ever from the need to be doing something other than whatever you would be doing if you could be doing nothing else, which is in his case, nothing at all. Seek at last the happiness of heaven on earth. Find the joy that life has never returned to you, free now from care, free now from want, free now from God. Life has gift, pure joy, given and nothing else is asked. That's bliss. Isn't that what we all want deep down? No. You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. God comes and says, at least in the Greek, not I'm here to get what you've got, but I'm here to get back what you got from me. You can't really translate that elegantly, but that's exactly what it says, and it's very important. Your life is not yours. I'm here to get it back from you. And in the end... It never was yours to begin with. It's now it's too late. You should never shake the golden hand, God says, if it's going to lead you to where it's got you now, too. In the end, it will get you and take you where you do not want to go. Beware. Human beings were made to work and to work and to work. You thought you got away with it. You thought you got away from me. Guess what? You did. Away with you. I'll take your soul, but I won't keep it. Asked and answered. 
So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. If you wanted to live, you should have lived for others, he says, and for me, this side of glory. It comes down to the same thing, whether you live for God or for others, as Luther says, again and again. You lived for yourself, and you thought you'd take it easy from now on, safe and sound, hedged in with your hedge hunts, which you watched nervously, and your 401ks. No, that's no way to live. You're called to live by trusting God moment by moment in faith. You could have kept working and given the surplus to the poor if you'd thought of it. Just like again and again and again, Jesus bids us do. Work for what you need, give the rest away. So in Matthew, Jesus says to the rich young man, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. There's no suggestion that possessions were ill-gotten. That's not the point. Our possessions are not ours any more than our life is ours. Luke, in a similar episode, says, when the rich young man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard, (laughs) how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. A lot of talk about exegesis these days. Boy, have I heard these texts pulled and pushed around beyond any simple understanding of their meaning in Western evangelical churches. Now, there's nothing bad about wealth in itself except for what it seems to do to us. And I have not yet seen anyone with wealth who has escaped its power to corrupt. It holds us back, it holds us down, it ties us up in the fear we thought it would allay. It binds us, it chains us. We wear the chains we forge in life, and they hold us back when we are called to eternal life. We we leave everything behind, but the one thing that we get to keep is what we gave away, love. Love of God, love of neighbor. And the forging of loving relationships calls us far from our zone of security again and again into a place of vulnerability and precariousness and the kind of limitlessness that opens our hearts to the needs of others and sees us giving of our substance for their good. When you love someone, what matters to them matters to you and what happens to them matters more than anything else in your life. The stuff you've got can mean so little. Think about it. You all know it. You're a loving community. I'm just here to bring it back for all of our attention. Seek the things that are above then, he says, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's not saying become so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. He's saying look to the God who died for us on the cross and gave us his life so we could live forever. See how his economy has managed. And it starts with that death and the fact that we have already died. 
to all this and its power over us. And that's the problem, power, not the wealth, its power over us to paralyze us into looking only out for ourselves. And it's never enough, is it? when you're pursuing wealth. There's always someone else who's got more and how that drives us and eats away of us and makes of this life a misery that it need not be. We've died to all this and to all in our lives that sets us striving and setting our own security above anyone else's concerns, fear. We've died to fear, haven't we? Perfect love casts out fear and he says, you have stripped off the old self, the false self, with its practices, those habits, those values which we've ingested since our youth, and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. We are the icon of Jesus on earth. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. No more winners and losers, no more us and them, no more go back to where you came from. We all are going to live on this earth for eternity with Jesus, but it's heaven all the way to heaven, and the new creation starts now. Dying to self and to all that this world offers, to divine the self we are raised in Christ, our true self, our soul's rest, our real identity, until we have found our identity in Christ, each and every one of us. We have not even begun to live. That's where this ends. After last night and yesterday, I add one little coda as a sign to draw this to another place, and you have to forgive me because codas don't always end. We live in an age then, back to that emptiness of which Solomon spoke, in which so many seem so disenfranchised, even in our world, living empty lives, devoid of meaning and any sense of self or self-respect. They go in and work their tails off at a job they do not like, and come home and drug themselves into oblivion on main, mainstream TV or on personal media or on whatever else they can use to self-medicate. But beyond that, as if that were not bad enough, weak and powerless, they seek power in collective identities in the group. Always a group well enough to define to telegraph us versus them and helping us identify with those who look like us. When you get really broken down and feel that the world has left you behind, you're aware of your powerlessness, your insignificance, your loneliness, your emptiness, and you look for some group to help you through it, to give your meaning life and to give your life power. It doesn't seem to matter what that group stands for, as long as it's willing to use power to give you back your place in the scheme of things. Always a group well enough defined to telegraph us versus them and helping us identify with those who look like us. 
We get into politics, and all I can say about politics is they're all playing the same game. It doesn't matter which color you wear, red or blue, which party you vote for, they all play by the same rules. The big collective power to help you, the lost and struggling individual, get your place in the world back. And yet we know along that we are now in persons seeing others as abstractions in an increasingly impersonal world of statistics and social engineering and social media. Fifteen minutes of fame. We are checkers in a game board that was meant for chess. Red and black, us and them, simply abstract social units who find our place in a table of statistics who don't even bother to vote in the end for what happens to us because we know our vote doesn't really matter anyway. I can't prove it, but I'm haunted by the hunch that behind so much of the anger in our world right now and of the violence that we see again and again is people who find the limit of their sense of disenfranchisement and get the one thing they can get their hands on to give them that power back, that power over life and death, theirs and whoever else's they can take with them, their 15 minutes of fame. Jesus Christ has given us eternal life, the potential and the power to die to all the values, all the, val all the values that this world gives us and live into the values of the kingdom of God. This is a great nation, the greatest place I have lived, but we are citizens of heaven, at least in this space at this time. And let's not forget it. Our task is not to get sucked into that game pitting ourselves against others who we have reduced to nothing but numbers. Our task is to show and to lean into and live out the values of the kingdom of God, to see one another as persons starting with ourselves. We, the individual, is the basic social unit, not the group. As the psalm reminds us, no one can indeed ransom another. I can't get you into heaven, and no one will get me there either. Or to pay to God the price of deliverance. We're born into this world alone. We go out one by one. And if we can't take care of the mess inside us, no one else will. And we'll simply dump it on everyone else who comes anywhere near us. And if we look to some political party or some branch of the church for our salvation, we're lost again. God, the Holy Spirit, speaks to us. He gives us a vocation, a calling. He speaks person to person as a person. And our task, as we have been given it, is to spread the good news that Jesus Christ speaks to everyone who will listen. And only Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, gives to each and every one of us who we are and what we have to do. If we trust in him against all odds, he will take us to where he can use us. And we can experience meaning, maybe not happiness, 
but the knowledge that we lived our life significantly and we did what only we can do. And we can have our 15 minutes of fame whether anybody knows about it or not. It doesn't matter. We'll know in our heart that we have done what we have called to do. And in that strength, built up our political parties, built up our families, built up our small communities, and done it all from the ground up. One more word and I'm done. The church is not the best way to do this. It's the only way to do this. And this community that God has called together of people who see things so differently and bring their truths together in love and trust that this will be a safe place has to be an open place as well where we can share our best, share what we believe without the fear of being stuck behind a label. I've never seen a place that can do this like this place. But let's not take it for granted. It's the greatest gift that God has given this community. Not me, not even our courageous leaders who got this thing started. God bless them. But it's a pattern of trust that started then, of living into an absolutely uncertain future in the confidence that we were called to do it and looking to God for everything we had. Help us from institutionalizing ourselves, my brothers and sisters, and help us to give you the message that we value each and every one of you, each and every one who comes through this door. Remember that too. And when the time came, comes for you to make what you see, to make your vote count, vote from your conscience, vote from your heart, Vote as God bids you vote. Look to him, and this community will do just fine. That's enough. Amen. Please stand.